welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 95 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thanks for joining me. Hey, have you signed up for the Back on Track Bootcamp yet? If you haven't heard about it, this is a free 14-day bootcamp designed to help you get back on track with your healthy habits and weight loss. So regardless of what's throwing you off track, be it COVID, be it summer, be it other stresses in your life, this will help you get back on track. The bootcamp starts September 12th, so make sure you don't miss out. Head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash bootcamp to learn more and to sign up. I can't wait to see you in there. There's going to be lots of opportunity to interact directly, which I'm really excited about. We'll see you in there. If you're just joining me, I'm Siobhan Key. I am a weight loss coach for physicians, and I focus on helping physicians stop stress and binge eating using tools and techniques that do not require willpower and last. How's that for a change of pace from good old diets? And I come at this from a perspective of personal experience in that I have struggled with emotional eating uh, throughout my life, particularly through med school and residency, and really struggled to lose weight. Ultimately, the tools that I now teach on this podcast and that I use with my coaching clients uh, helped me lose 55 pounds and keep it off uh, for years now, as well as I have the background of being an obesity medicine physician. So I've got the science understanding of uh, our bodies and how they manage weight. And uh, I think the combination of those two uh, really make a difference. If you want to learn more, uh, check out the website, weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And like I just mentioned, I think the boot camp, if you're interested, would be a fantastic place to start because it's going to give you an opportunity to get access to some more of my tools and get more direct support from me. So don't forget to sign up for that. Uh, and also, I think doing things like the boot camp are more fun with a friend. So if you have a friend who's a physician and is also struggling with their weight, invite them along. Uh, get them to join the boot camp with you so you guys can do it together. All right, I'm excited about today's topic. Uh, this is a topic that impacts so many of my clients, uh, and it is parenting. So many of my clients parenting and stresses related to parenting are a trigger for eating. So lots of times feeling like either we're not quite measuring up in the parenting field or feeling exhausted from the actual parenting ends up with uh, wanting to eat to manage it. So I think this is a really important topic. Now, if you're listening to this and you're not a parent, I would still listen because I think the tips in this episode can be applicable to any relationship. Uh, So parenting is a specific type of relationship, but the overall uh, concepts that we're talking about in this episode are applicable to all our other relationships. And often, yes, parenting causes eating for sure, but relationships in general uh, would be, you know, a close runner up for a lot of the people I work with. So I'm lucky to have Dr. Jessie Mahoney with me today. You may remember her from one of my COVID bonus episodes from April 11th. She was with me on a panel discussion talking about mindfulness. Today, she is talking about parenting. Jessie is a pediatrician, a physician wellness instructor, and a yoga and mindfulness instructor. Uh, And so she brings a wealth of knowledge to this, as well as she's a mom. I'll let her get into the details of her introduction because I think let's just get going with this interview. All right. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. So can you start just by introducing yourself and letting us know a little bit about you? Absolutely. My name is Jesse Mahoney and I am a pediatrician 
and a mindful life coach and also a yoga and mindfulness instructor. And since we're talking about parenting, a mom of three kids who are now 24, 20, and almost 15. Wow. So I've been at the parenting thing for quite some time. <laughs> Did that go fast? Like now that they're 24 and stuff, are you looking back going, well, I can't believe it? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> so my 24-year-old was actually my med school baby, and I had a residency baby and one afterwards. So parts of it went slow, and then the end period has gone really fast. Yeah. As they start to move out and move on, that part is a very interesting experience. I have told people, just I think it will be relevant for this conversation, that I used to think when I had toddlers that it would get easier. And I used to advise people as a pediatrician, you know, oh, well, you just have to get through this. It does not get easier. It just gets different. And mm. so the challenge is, even when they're 24, they're, they still call you and you're still an integral part of their life and you're just helping them with different things. Mm -hmm. So it's a constant growing of new skills. I think that's a really good point because like when you're in the trenches of the little people, it's easy to think, okay, just through this <laughs> and then it'll get easier. But the challenges just change, hey? On yes, absolutely. What you're parenting around. I have been using this thought, which I have helped a lot of parents of toddlers with, but it works really well as a parent of young adults. And I actually, one of my kids had COVID recently, so I had to use all of my parenting tips and tools to not be anxious and stressed about it. And the thought is, this is what we have today. So whatever it is they call you with, or whatever, if they're having a temper tantrum in the evening, this is what we have today. Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm just thinking through my past weeks of parenting. <laughs> Very useful. Whatever yeah. is out of your control, this is what we have today. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good kind of mindfulness type approach to it. So today we're talking about uh, common parenting pitfalls or places that people get tripped up. Um, and in, as you know, how you and I've discussed in my particular group of people that I work with, often these pitfalls are, they trigger eating. So, uh, you know, the classic of getting through the day, finally getting the kids to bed and then just falling to pieces and being so exhausted by the bedtime piece or whatever else has happened and ending up eating. And so I think this is a really good topic and I'm excited to sit down and talk to you about. Um, but do you want to start with uh, what you think is the kind of biggest pitfall that you see us as physician parents do? The biggest fit pitfall I see for physician parents is really the self-judgment and the thought mm -hmm. that there's a perfect way to be a parent or we're not measuring up. And I think as we're working as physicians during the day and we're often away from our children and many people like me had children during training and missed time with them, that we attach all of this immense importance to every moment we spend with them. So the stakes are high and the energy expenditure is high. And then this idea that we're gonna not do it correctly or we're gonna mess it up or there's specific directions or instructions and what a perfect mom looks like. And many of us have an idea of a perfect mom who is maybe stay-at-home mom. And yes. so a stay-at-home mom and a working physician mom look completely different. And so this idea that we're measuring up to some standard, and particularly during COVID, this has come up a lot, but I think that no one has been a parent in a pandemic before. So there is no standard to meet. And yet in our physician minds, we are always looking to what's the right way. Am I feeding them the right way? Did I get them to bed in the right way? Are they sleeping in their room the right way? Did they behave right today, you know, the, all of this judgment and making it mean something about ourselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, you bring up COVID, which is a really good point in that, like, I found this, and I had to have a discussion with myself about this, because I was getting so incredibly cranky with my children, because I was trying to be uh, not a perfect homeschooling mom, but a reasonable homeschooling mom that checked all the boxes that the teachers were sending even on days where both my husband and I were, we were home, but we were working from home. And so I'd be, you know, seeing patients virtually running upstairs, checking on the multiplication table, <laughs> and 
feeling frustrated because it didn't happen or because the kids got distracted. And I was turning, like I was turning this opportunity of having all this time together into this just cranky fest where I didn't enjoy it. They particularly weren't enjoying it. And I had to, at some, I can't remember exactly when, but at some point tell myself, okay, like all the boxes don't have to get checked. If they don't do every single assignment that's given to them each day, they will be fine. There's, you know, there's other things that they're doing, like creative creativity projects that they're always up to and things will sort out, <laughs> but it took a little bit and it, it, it really um, made me a little crazy for a little while. You're not alone in <laughs> thinking <laughs> that it made you crazy. I think so many people struggle with how can I do it all and this guilt of I might not be doing enough. And there was tremendous stress around the homeschooling. And my thought is this is an opportunity for kids to learn different stuff. You brought up their creativity. And so there's so much that's being learned about how we can adapt and how to be vulnerable and how we deal with uncertainty and how we learn how to learn differently. And how can we get along with our siblings? I know a lot of people bring up sibling rivalry and now they're home together. They used to be in separate classrooms and separate from one another during the day and having recess and all of the things. And now they may not. And so just compassion for that and maybe opening our eyes to their learning different skills and different tools and different opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good. And, and I think, cause there's so much variation on how the homeschooling thing has kind of rolled out. Right. And, um, I think you, as perfectionist physicians, which a lot of us fall into that category, recognizing it doesn't all have to get done right now. Yeah. You know, there's, there's actually been some stuff on social media about parents really worrying what's going to happen if with school and what's going to happen if this doesn't work out and do we just skip the whole year and have our kids repeat it. And I think there's lots of different ways to learn. And so this may be a way of people learning how to learn in different ways and learning how your child learns. One of my children has pretty significant ADHD, my younger one. And he actually, surprisingly, because I know for a lot of kids, it's the opposite, has found homeschooling and home learning to be super efficient. And he can focus and do his work and then have more time to go do other things rather than sort of the distractions of a classroom. So every child is different and every child's learning pathways are different. And so this is really an opportunity for kids to learn more about what works for them. And if we as perfectionist physician parents can maybe... The triple P. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Relaxes. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just relax about it, right? This is, we've never been in a pandemic before. I've heard people really stressed about college applications and how it's going to work and it's going to look different than some of their other children. So I guess I would offer that it can look different for each child and it isn't going to be the same because we're in a pandemic. And so we can different isn't necessarily worse. It's just different. And so every child's path is going to be different. Every child's school experience is going to be different because of this. And instead of worrying about what they're missing out on, maybe just shifting your mindset to what they might be gaining from it and how it might be different or better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really powerful to, to intentionally focus on the, the positive side because it's so easy in the pandemic to think of all the negatives that's true in general for the pandemic is the more you can think about what's actually better, what's, what's okay. Uh, I think that's good. What other ways do we as physician parents judge ourselves? One of the things we had talked about, which actually still kind of fits into this self-judgment is what a good mom looks like. And that I would just offer a good mom can look like anything. And I hear from a lot of moms about maybe they had a child in residency and that meant that they weren't as good enough a mom or you can't work full time and be a good mom or if you take on this leadership position it's instead of being a good mom so i think the thought that moms can come in all shapes sizes jobs roles etc and what we see when our kids grow up is that if you approach it with you know, good intention is what I like to say, we're all just doing our best and all you can do is your best and one best isn't better or worse than the other. You know, I have three children and I think also be, 
each child needs a slightly different mom. And so we adjust and shift as our kids get older. And that tells you that there isn't a right way to do it. You know, I don't know of a physician mom who doesn't care, who's not doing her best. And so this thought of beating ourselves up or feeling inadequate, which is such a common way of thinking about it, is not serving us. And I, as I'm thinking to overeating, right, it's led me to say, I'll just have a bowl of ice cream because this is too overwhelming, you know, or Mm -hmm. I'm so exhausted from trying to help everyone with everything. And so giving ourselves more compassion, just taking a pause and- A deep breath <laughs> can help. Or 10. Or 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. Like I've definitely had times in the past years more when my twins were little, uh, like getting just so the mornings were always tough, right? With getting out of the house. A lot of that I realize now is self imposed with my like idea of times and what time had to look like. And what would happen if we were late for the bus or something that that was a huge trigger for me when they're really little but you know and there'd be times where I would get so worked up in that morning getting out of the house that like I all I wanted to do was eat um leaving and it really took um it's taken kind of like what you're talking about of like you know the world's not gonna end (laughs) this is what I have today I have kids that aren't moving quickly today (laughs) and and just kind of being pulling myself back and being at peace with it instead of feeling like it needs everything needs to happen in the assigned uh what would be the word schedule that I have set up in my mind that the kids have by the way have no real understanding or like teaching around it's all just my schedule that then I'd get worked up around I think that brings up actually two other things, which are this idea of what's in your control, right? And some days the children are not in your control and they're not going to move fast and they're not going to get there on time. And as a physician, we're very used to potentially, not always, I work in primary care, so it's not always true, but being in control of the schedule and having a fixed schedule that we can rely upon and kids don't necessarily stick to the schedule and they may have a meltdown day or just as we say there are days that are 50 50 right our kids may have the 50 percent bad day when we're having a different day and so there's so many more variables that just allowing this idea that it's okay if we're not perfect and that nothing terrible will happen i think a lot of um, physician moms and myself, you know, myself included, we catastrophize and think, well, if we're, you know, we don't get them to school on time, they're going to think that they don't need to get to school on time. And then they're not going to get to high school on time. And then they're not going to, you know, go to college on time and what might happen. And I hear from a lot of physician parents, what I like to call catastrophizing where, you know, if a teen is acting out that they're going to end up in jail. And it's, you know, a drug addict and in jail. And that might sound like crazy, but I know that it comes up for lots of physician moms as their kids get older. And we think this is a measure of us, right? It's not, first of all. And also most kids don't end up there, even if they have a bad day or make a mistake. And I think if we did a better job of showing both grace and compassion for ourselves as parents, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to get to the bus on time. And for our kids that they would actually learn from that. There's been some research about anxiety in kids. And part of it is that if we are holding ourselves to this perfect standard as parents, kids don't learn how to process through the difficulties. So when they actually go through struggles and they see you figure out how to get through something difficult at work or get through this COVID situation, for example, I think is a perfect example, or get through getting to the bus on time and getting to school on time and sort of figuring out how to do that. That's how they learn how to deal with adversity. And so many of us don't want them to experience adversity and we think we can protect them. And it's actually a really useful process. And since we're talking about eating, it strikes me that if they watch you get upset and go immediately to food, that that's also going to be a message that they're going to be learning. So they're always watching you and modeling, which you're modeling for them. So maybe that's a little bit more pressure, but this idea that you also want to model how to handle adversity and how to handle a sibling having a temper tantrum, right? Like, do you want to lose it? Or do you want to take a few deep breaths and say, well, we're, you know, your sister is having a day today. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I think that's really good in that, um, like talking about, you know, not being a perfect parent and teaching them that it's okay to make mistakes along those lines when we aren't perfect and when we lose it and, you know, get irritable, yell, raise our voice, all that sort of stuff. Um, that's also, that's something that comes up a lot in the clients I coach is then the guilt that then follows leads to eating. So how do you suggest handling that? Like when you've really, uh, or you perceive that you've really messed up um, and your brain goes to all the catastrophizing, uh, where do you go from there? So in the past, I would have gone to a bowl of ice cream. I'm just going to be very honest, right? And I think that that's, we do that to make ourselves feel better. But this thought that kids can learn from mistakes. And so if you in the morning say, hey, I made a mistake last night. I got really upset and my emotions took over and I wish I had done it this way. It's an opportunity to teach them. So oftentimes we just hide from it. And so my offering would be to think through how can you explain what happened? How can you let them know that nobody's perfect? It helps them when they have a temper tantrum or lose it, right? We all lose it sometimes. Life is not easy and especially these days I, I would offer. So this idea that nobody's perfect. And if in fact, we as physicians didn't have such perfectionist tendencies, I think we would have a lot less burnout and a lot more satisfaction in life and probably would be better parents, right? So this just grace and compassion all around, compassion for yourself, we're not perfect. And one temper tantrum on our behalf is not going to make or break our child's life. I do work with lots of parents who come to me because they feel really terrible about yelling at their kids. And much of that comes from this idea of shoulds and expectations and hefty weight that they're putting on themselves and letting go of some of that perfectionism and the idea that we can control our children and we can control the outcome and realizing that we can't control everything and lots of things whether it's toddlers or teenagers are not going to be in our control. Our job is to keep our kids safe mm -hmm. and feed them healthy food to some degree, right? Offer it. They get to choose what to eat. That's what we teach in pediatrics. Um, but that we can't fix everything and we can't make everything right. And so this, to me, it's coming from this mindful perspective of accepting what is and accepting your children as they are and realizing that we can't control and make everything perfect and our it's all a journey. It's a long game. So mm -hmm. even my 24 year old is not fully formed. And I've realized recently that your relationship with your kids as adults is even longer than your relationship with them as kids. And yet we think that everything we do when they're two and three is the most important. So if you realize that hopefully you'll have a 50 year relationship with them <laughs> and that, you know, so each individual moment is not a moment to go to the guilt and I shoulds and all of that, and just to enjoy being with them. I think so many parents don't um, enjoy the present. They're always worrying about, have I gotten this done? Or how am I gonna make sure this works out for them next? And then we miss a lot of the time with them. And I would say that's probably, I definitely missed a lot of the time with them. And now I'm much better about just sort of enjoying and not worrying so much about the outcome, but spending that time together. Perhaps COVID is a great reminder of that, right? We've all slowed down and spending yeah. more time together. I think those are great points. And I, I agree with you. I think for our family anyways, COVID, that's one of been the blessings is the no longer having all the activities, like no longer running out the door as soon as supper is done to drive somebody somewhere and just actually being quiet together in the house. <laughs> You don't realize how little you were doing of that until essentially it's forced on you or it suddenly becomes your reality, but it's actually kind of nice. Um, I was driving my kids home yesterday from, uh, we'd gone out to the lake for dinner because it was actually nice out. And it was just so nice that like the conversation, they were just yakking my ear off <laughs> about inchworms and uh I can't remember all the different conversation topics. A lot was about inchworms because I collected some during the day. And, uh, but I was thinking, man, it's so nice to actually have this time where we don't have anything else to do and we're just driving and everybody's talking. Um, it's so nice. 
All right. So you touched on this before, but the second pitfall is control. So trying to be in control or thinking we're in control. Do you want to talk more about that? Well, and just realizing the contrast, I was thinking about being in the car, right? Because it may be, I was working with someone actually this week whose children fight in the car all the time. And so we, we are not in our regular routines and we're not in our regular schedules now. And so kids may, there's just less control over everything as we don't know what's happening. There's more uncertainty. And so just being comfortable with this lack of control and as physicians, we like to be in control and we like to fix everything. And so how can we let go of some of those concepts in the sense that when they don't work out or we get frustrated, that's when we get to um, back to the bowl of ice cream, which I'll just say ice cream is my favorite dessert. So <laughs> ice cream or chocolate, which when you get frustrated or you're very tired at the end of the day, I think so many of us immediately go to that. Whereas if you're just willing to say, okay, well, this isn't how I thought the evening was going to go, or I didn't think the kids were going to bicker in the back. Like they may not be having a lovely conversation about inchworms, but instead, who knows, poking one another or doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. And the thought is that, that that's part of the journey, right? And so we don't have to have perfectly behaved children who get all the boxes checked to themselves, even though that's what we're used to. And I think not in COVID times, we often weren't even aware of all of this because they were busy doing something else somewhere else. And so now we're much more aware and the angst and disruption and concern about the, everything that's out of our control creates a lot more discomfort within us. And when we feel uncomfortable, we go to whatever vice might help us feel better. Totally. And there's so many, right? Like Netflix and alcohol that glass of wine once the kids are in bed there's so many different ways to avoid it and just to if anybody's listening and thinking I spend my life <laughs> driving three kids around and everybody's like singing the sound of music and stuff like that uh, one of my best parenting thoughts that I've come up with I was born also in the same minivan <laughs> the same three kids behind me in very different circumstances driving me crazy I can't actually remember what they're doing but I think there's crying and screaming and yelling and I could feel myself like just, you know, tightening up and like, ah, and I was like, you know what, maybe this is exactly how it is supposed to be. Maybe this driving a minivan full of screaming children who are arguing and fighting is exactly what having three kids at this moment is supposed to be. And that thought, it's similar to the thought that you had mentioned earlier, but that's gotten me through uh, quite a few different irritable situations is that maybe this is this day, this is just exactly how it's supposed to go. I like that one. The other one I love is like, of course they're fighting. Yeah. Right. Or of course this is happening today or of course they don't want to clean their room. <laughs> yeah. Of course dinner burned or whatever it might be. Right. I think we all have a vision that everyone else's house is perfectly organized and they're not exhausted at the end of the day and they're not frustrated. And we're all, nobody's alone here. We're all tired and frustrated. And it doesn't mean that we're not a good parent or don't love parenting, right? Parenting is hard and it's fun mm -hmm. and it's the best thing you do and a challenging thing. And so realizing it has all of these different variations. To me, I think the biggest struggle that gets us in trouble as parents is just a lack of compassion for ourselves. And most of us don't have tremendous self-compassion as physicians anyway. Mm -hmm. And parenting brings out all of our uncertainties and judgments and, and it's about another being who's not in our control. And so it just spirals and spirals. And so I think being really compassionate towards yourself, towards your children, I like to offer when you're about to lose it, like what would love do in this moment or what would compassion do in this moment? Not like what would make me look like the perfect parent or how am I going to solve this? Cause you can always, have a conversation later mm -hmm. and always take a break. There's that Maya Angelou quote about, you know, they won't remember what you did or what you said, but how you made them feel. And I like to use that in my mind, like just pause, <laughs> take a deep breath and think about how you want to feel in this moment when you're in the car driving and the whole back seat is screaming, right? It's how do I want to show up for this? How would I like to feel? Maybe just, calm, right? Or enough space to take a deep breath. 
Yeah. Yeah. Accepting has been a, a powerful spot for me personally, but uh, it's funny. I can even picture where I was. <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly what they're doing, but it was not the nice drive I had yesterday. Um, it's so why you mentioned it, like it's hard for us to hold self-compassion in parenting. And I a hundred percent agree with that. Why is it so hard for us to, for parenting to be an area to find compassion? Well, my thought is that we think that how our children turn out is a reflection of us. Hmm. So that if we worked harder, did it better, fixed things just right, that we could make it turn out perfectly with, so maybe a false sense of control. And I think just in general, we don't have self-compassion for ourselves anyway. And yet this is a human being and we feel it's so important. And I'm not saying it's not important. My thought is that this idea that you can only do your best and your best is all you can do. And so obviously if you think you're not doing your best, that's different, but we often hold ourselves to standards that are above our best, right? The perfect mom would do X but the perfect mom can't be in two places at once and can't, you know, we're, nobody's perfect. And so I think it's because, and then actually I have another thought, which is the judgment. We often think about what other people will think of us. So mm-hmm. we're not only judging ourselves, but we're worried about being judged. And there may be a layer of being a physician mom. And so I hear from other people, well, the stay-at-home moms or someone else is doing it better. And so that there'll be that level of judgment about what we've missed or what we haven't done right. Yeah. And that comparison, right? And I think social media uh, for parenting stuff can be a big trigger too, in that it looks on, or it can look on social media that all other parents are doing all this amazing stuff and these highly educational activities just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) nobody posts their child having a temper tantrum on social media i'd like to point out yeah the the activities that make me like oh my god that'd be so messy and people post like seeming like they're doing it and enjoying it but it's not it's not always the truth right and uh and like you said they're not showing they're not posting their bad times the picture of the kid on the floor having the tantrum after the highly educational activity. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, and this idea that many of us, I think we have a lot of fond memories of our childhood. And I hear lots of people who feel, not everyone, a lot of people feel like their parents didn't do a good job, but many people feel like they did. They felt safe and they felt secure. They don't remember the days when, you know, everything went crazy. And so we, it's maybe like childbirth, you you block it out, right? And so, I, and I know not everyone's childhood was beautiful. And a lot of us do remember difficult moments. I think we also selectively remember these moments. And so we want to cre- recreate those for our children. And we're holding ourselves to that standard every day. And every day doesn't have to look like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe every day shouldn't look like that. Like, you know, if you go back to what you're talking about, about it's good for kids to have adversity. It's good for them to figure out how to, how to entertain themselves when there's not a parent creating the activities for them. Like there's value to the days that look so really boring. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't say that they shouldn't always be good. Yeah. And not only will they not, but there's much value learned from struggling and figuring out. We talk about there's value learned from being bored much of creativity comes from not having someone entertain you and not having all the activities scheduled. Yeah, absolutely. And so the third pitfall is the fixing, which kind of ties into that, the wanting to fix stuff and and make sure it all goes okay. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I would just offer that we, first of all, can't fix everything. So even as physicians, we think that we can, or we think that we should be able to, and it's sort of the shoulds about parenting. So this idea that we can't, we can't fix everything. And often by trying, we're taking away the child's ability to learn how to fix it. So with the temper tantrum, you know, let them work it out. I like to say they're just resetting. It's the reset button. And that's how toddlers do it. And as adults, we reset in a different way. Sometimes we go out for a walk. Sometimes we take a bath. Sometimes 
I'll leave other, other options out, right? But we might, you know, or have that glass of wine or whatever it is, but everyone needs a reset. And so if, if you can often show up for that just with presence rather than trying to fix it, it usually gets better much faster. Whereas many parents are standing there, how do I fix this? This means my child, you know, doesn't know how to control his behavior. Oftentimes people think they're too old. They shouldn't still be having that, those kinds of things. And mm -hmm. so realizing that we can't fix everything and our job is to be present and to be loving and to keep our children safe, right? That's our job. But this falsehood that we can fix control and make everything turn out all right, I think leads us to a lot of frustration and guilt. Yeah. And I can, you know, I can see all of this with like um, little kids, but this, these are also things that really come up with the older kids and the teens and things. Could you speak a little bit specifically about the older kids, the fixing and control issues? Yeah, so those are harder. Um, and I'm on my third teen. So first of all, grace and compassion for all teen parents and for all the teens, right? It's part of the process and they are learning to fix and control things themselves. And so a lot of the tension comes from you wanting to fix and control and them wanting to take control and learn how to do that. Again, I try to focus on keeping them safe. And to me, it's about respecting one another. So if we respect them, they tend to respect us and really building a strong connection as opposed to being the one who's jumping in and fixing it. Because in reality, you want them to be the one who comes to you with the problems when they run into it and you help them figure out how to solve it. So even teens need to learn how to solve these problems. I think the biggest struggle I see in parents of teens is a stronger sense of self-judgment and a stronger sense in parents of catastrophizing and what terrible outcome might happen because certainly the outcomes there are usually much higher risk that to me is where the investment is up front in terms of building these strong relationships and helping them work through adversity and opening up those lines of communication so i like to think you're raising an adult and as you're going through your teen years rather than fixing and controlling every small thing and and you need to allow them to grow and learn and use their resources and hopefully you are a resource now i will add that adds more stress to you as a parent because you have to be the resource when they come to you but having kind of been on the other end now with the 24 year old you really want them to come to you where you get into trouble is when your kids don't come to you or they feel like you're going to judge them or you're just going to jump in to fix it. Sometimes they just need you to listen and they need to figure out how to work through it on their own. And that's a, an incredible tool that we can teach them. How do you support kids in figuring things out that are on the surface quite difficult? Like when that inner parent <laughs> self just really wants to just you know fix it in some or it may even have ideas of how it should be fixed how do you step back from that and rather support them in figuring it out for themselves i think so first of all that's really hard <laughs> and <laughs> as you say that i have the you know, we we talk in coaching about like the chest tightness and i'm like oh i've been there and i've had that chest tightness and again, we want to come in and tell them what to do. And I'm fully guilty of this. Do this, do that. This is what you want to do. These are the you know, courses you should take, or this is how you need to solve this problem. And really, they do need to learn. So to me, it's asking good questions. And I actually learned this from coaching, and my oldest got no benefit from this. But the idea of asking good questions, so really empowering questions or thought-provoking questions or ones that open conversation rather than close conversation to really help them explore and create that safe space. And so this comes back to actually another coaching concept, which is like discomfort is the price of growth. So as the parent, it's gonna be very uncomfortable to help them work through this, but you're helping them grow. Mm -hmm. And so you can also, you're more comfortable just solving it. And there was a study recently that they were having kids solve some computer game and the moms were sitting next to them and 
they had heart rate monitors on the moms and the kids and the kids weren't able to solve it at one point. It's very challenging. And the moms would jump in and solve it for them. At which point the mom's heart rate went down, which is why they jumped in the buffering and the kids heart rates went up and they Mm -hmm. didn't learn how to solve it. So it's this idea that our discomfort there can actually ultimately lead to important growth. So if you can sit with it, and realize that this is just part of parenting. Like nobody said it was easy. (laughs) And you know from growing up yourself, right? Growing up is not easy and the world is not easy. I think the challenge for me comes right now because the stakes are a little bit higher. And so um, my own child who got COVID, I'm sure was not as careful as he should have been. Hopefully he's not gonna listen to this, but (laughs) right? But part of it is, you know, then the stakes are higher and your worries are higher. And so what, I again go back to what's in my control. I can't sit on him and make him stay home, right? I, if he's out and he's 20, he's an adult, right? I can't force him to wear a mask and I don't actually know what happens. So I'm not going to say, perhaps it was just bad luck. But the idea, I can use my voice, I can, you know, use my actions, which might be whatever's in my control. And there isn't very much with a 20 year old, but, <laughs> and my thoughts about it. And so I can choose to, be really anxious and worried, or I can say I raised him to make good decisions and I can tell him everything I know about COVID, but I can't, you know, if I, if I lock him in the house, he's not going to learn how to be responsible. And so I think that with teens, our job is to keep them safe, but we can't, if we control everything for them, there's a new saying, which is called snowplow parents, where we just go and move everything out of the way. That makes us feel good. Makes us feel good, but it doesn't actually help our children in the end. So if our ultimate goal is responsible children, just realizing that some of that discomfort is par for the course. And I think this brings me back to that evening eating, right? Just realize at the end of the day of doctoring and parenting, you're going to be exhausted and you're you know, going to be looking for something to nourish yourself. And that's okay. I think where we get into trouble is thinking I did something wrong because I should still have energy and I should still be willing to do all these, be able to do all these things. And should have enjoyed that more. I should have. Yes, I should, should, should. And it's like, it's okay. That's so fast. Yeah. Yeah, It's okay to just realize that we're human. Now the topic about safety, I think is an interesting one. And this is coming more from my like family medicine background, but sometimes with teens, like you can do your best to keep them safe, but sometimes those actions that you don't have control over, you don't, you can't actually necessarily keep them safe. Um, how do you kind of handle that? To me, it gets back to what's in your control. Yeah. So what's in your control is your voice and your rules per se, but, and I don't mean to like, my kids didn't run around crazy, but you can make your rules, but a lot of teens break rules, right? So it's your voice, why you have the rule, what you're worried about. And I think that the mutual respect, so this actually goes back to kind of my pediatric thoughts, which are if even as toddlers, you respect them and you start, you respect all along the way, that's where you can have these more open conversations about safety and risks. And they still might do something that's unsafe, but they might be telling you, (laughs) you might have an inclination so you can be a much better advisor. And uh, that has served me well in the sense that you can tell them exactly why you're concerned and what risks you're thinking about and they can weigh in. I mean, my hope is that all of our children are smart and want, don't want to do something wrong, but they do need some freedom to learn and grow. And so if you can have those conversations and if you start them really young, right? Often we want our kids to potty train exactly on our schedule and exactly how we want them to, for example. And I'm more of a believer in, in even their like respect to their timing. And my kids did it at two, three, and four, not in that order. (laughs) My middle one was the fastest and my baby was the longest. And I think just allowing them some of that individuality and not trying to make everything work out exactly as we think it should, it's the shoulds that get in the way, then you build that conversation conversation and that trust over time. I think that's the really critical piece. Hmm. 
because we can't keep them safe from everything. And COVID is here to, to tell us that in spades, right? We can't keep anybody safe 100%. And as they're driving, you can't keep them safe. Yeah, yeah, driving. <laughs> but you can tell them, you know, what you know and what the risks are, et cetera. And to trust them. Part of it is when you instill that trust, like you really do trust them, I think they step up a little bit more. Yeah. How do you know when to step in? So like not fixing, but there are some situations that um, kids or teens do need a bit of a hand. So how do you know when to cross that line? And I'm thinking, you know, like say significant bullying situations where they're just not, not having the success or, you know, are disempowered to the point where they can't figure out solutions for themselves. How do you know when it's time to actually start taking a more active role? Or is there ever? Well, I, my thought would be to ask them, do they need your help? Do they want your help? Because sometimes they do, if it feels out of control. And certainly if they were showing any signs of, you know, severe depression, anxiety, psychiatric things, or not wanting to go to school. Like, I think it's fine to jump in and, and you want to be their partner. So do they need help? Cause kids do need help along the way. And so asking, would you like my help? Or I think my, I could be helpful in these ways. Mm -hmm. And so you're not just fixing it for them, helping to problem solve sometimes you've gone too far. And if you're really worried, obviously that's where it comes to safety, right? So if it's not safe from a psychiatric or physical perspective, then you do need to jump in. I think it's these lines of communication, which are started really early on. And it's not to, you know, um, make it a pressure filled situation. Cause that's not what I think. I just think realizing this parenting thing is sort of a gift. It's, it's, fun, it's work, it's, it's a relationship. And you want to start building it from the very beginning. And then you don't, there may be times where they've gone too far and you do need to impose limits, right? And part of that is sort of there's natural consequences and you can impose natural consequences. But I like to think like, what would compassion do in this point? Like, what would, what would I want if I were the teenager? How would I want to have this sorted out? because you, they don't want to get into long-term trouble in the end either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good, I'm going to try and remember the next time I feel my, uh, my buttons getting pushed. I'm going to try and remember what would compassion do or, and, and ask other parents. I think also we don't want to talk to other people and tell them, you know, my kids are doing this. What do you think? But sometimes your good friend has really good advice because they're not in the midst of it. And yet they're looking from outside. I find that to be helpful. When we're vulnerable with one another, we actually can learn from one another. And yeah. when we hold ourselves to this perfect standard, I don't want anyone to know that my kid is melting down or you know, having temper tantrums at age eight. Like ask, ask your pediatrician, ask your friends, really, um, we used to take a village to raise children and now we all think we can do it on our own. And so get back to that village concept as much as you possibly can. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think that really, that um, statement just sums it up kind of all the different things that we've talked about the, you know, it's okay to be being vulnerable and to admit that you don't have it all figured out because nobody has it all figured out. Everybody's just pretending. <laughs> exactly. And even, I mean, I don't have it all figured out, right? And my, one of my children is a complete adult who lives on his own. I still don't have it all figured out. We're always learning. Yeah. And, and that's how you want to live your life, actually, always learning. I still have things to learn. And every child is different and every parent is different. So that idea that there's one right way to do it, I think, gets us into trouble and judging ourselves based on a vision of what the right way to do it is. Absolutely. We're all doing our best. We are. And um, any other like last points that you want to share or important pieces that we haven't touched on? I think the biggest thought would be to be present and enjoy it and not beat yourself up along the way. I think 
when you brought up in the very beginning, like, did it go fast? Yes, it does. And you don't want to miss it, right? So enjoy it. I think we spend so much time thinking I'm not doing it right, or I'm too tired, or it needs to be going this way, or it should be going this way. I haven't done enough. Just enjoy that time with your kids. Many times we forget to have fun and we're too busy doing the laundry and getting the things done and spend that time and have fun and enjoy your relationship with them. Mm -hmm. I think that we just miss it in the search for all of the other things that we think need to be done. So stop the shoulds and dig into the relationship. And that will serve you well when you get to some of these more difficult ages and stages and decisions later on in life. I think that's excellent advice. Uh, Where can people find you? People can find me at www.jessiemahoneymd.com. And it's Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E. And I should mention, I'm starting up in the middle of August, a group coaching program called Mindful Connections, which is about creating healthy, amazing relationships from relationships that might be challenging. So parenting is certainly part of it can be parenting can be your intimate relationships, but really focusing on mindful approaches to relationships. So if anyone's interested, you can find out more on my webpage there as well. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jesse. I really appreciate it. I think this is going to be a very helpful uh, episode for a lot of listeners. Absolutely. My pleasure. So many good things in that interview. Just listening through it again as I was editing this episode, uh, there's just so many like core principles that if you latched onto one or two of them, it could give so much peace through the journey of parenting. Um, And like I said at the intro, I think applicable to a lot of other relationships, uh, make sure you check Jessie out. She's fantastic at Pause and Presence Coaching or jessiemahoneymd.com is her website. Uh, I think she's got a ton of uh, resources uh, that she mentioned at the end of the interview there. And don't forget to join the boot camp. Uh, I would love to have as many of the podcast listeners in the boot camp as possible uh, because it would be so great to go from you listening to me every week to actually being able to interact a little bit and help you out even more directly. So the link for that is weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash bootcamp. Uh, you can register. It starts September 12th. Uh, you'll get a confirmation email and then I'll be sending out emails as we get closer to the date uh, about the actual details of it. It's not going to take a ton of time if you're worried that it's signing your life away for those two weeks. I know that back to school time is busy. That's partly why I'm doing it around this time. Uh, But it's designed to be quick little interventions and support that help you get back on track during this busy time. All right, we'll see you in there and have a fantastic week. Thank you so much for listening. 